Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo, reporting to you live from the Tribe Accelerator, which is the Singaporean government-backed accelerator for blockchain technologies. In this week's tech news, I have two very important follow-up topics if you've been listening regularly to the show. First up is the FTC levied their largest fine for a data breach ever. It's about $300 million to the FTC and about $700 million overall. If you're a consumer and was affected by the FTC data breach of the Equifax data breach, go to our website, svn.biz, to figure out how you can claim some of that money. And then later in the week, in even bigger news, Facebook was levied an even bigger fine by the FTC of $5 billion. And it doesn't really tell you how you can get your money if you were affected, but $5 billion is eclipses the FTC fine of Equifax, and also Mark Zuckerberg has personal sanctions against him, as well as Facebook has to set up an independent privacy committee with the board of directors and have independent auditors checking on them regularly. And that's extremely big news. The last topic is, if you're into real estate, and I've been talking about real estate tech, Rheology and Amazon just announced a partnership where you can now buy homes using Amazon as a portal. What's in it for Amazon is cross-selling drapes, blinds, faucets, appliances, and what's in it for Rheology, a new channel that goes different to the traditional real estate industry. If you want to know more about disruptive tech in real estate, look up our past episodes on Real Estate Consortia. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Joining me today is Ming En, the managing partner of Tribe out of Singapore, and Tiffany Xingyu Wang, who is the venture partner. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much, Keith. Hi. So it's been a really great day in San Francisco so far. Thanks for kicking off the show, Ming. Can you tell me your background and how you got involved with the Tribe Accelerator? So uh, I started after college, working for Lazada, which is a e-commerce marketplace in uh, Singapore in Southeast Asia, that is a really uh, that has a really got acquired for Alibaba. Then I went on to do some startups, and then went on to do VCs. And I think through this experience, we saw a lot more developments in the blockchain space over the last uh, couple of years, and we felt that there was a huge gap in the space, which was that there were a world of traditional corporates. And there was a world of blockchain companies where traditional corporates are often skeptical of blockchain companies because of the speculative nature of cryptocurrencies. So a lot of time, Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto are all lumped as one, which is speculative or or things that are dodgy or scammy by nature itself. So we wanted to solve this to bring people closer together and to understand what this technology can really bring forward in terms of innovation and solving problems on a real uh, real world basis uh, instead of talking about the nature of volatility of cryptocurrencies. So we come because we come from a traditional lens in venture capital, we see blockchain, AI, machine learning as technologies to power businesses. 
So if it makes sense to use AI or machine learning to power business, so be it. If if it makes sense to use an application to run your on the smartphone to power your business, so be it. Like so, to us, blockchain is a backend technology, and that's how we look at it. And this is why we started out finding interesting problems that people are solving, from things like authentication of luxury goods to tracking of halal food products from farm to table. Things startups like that that are championing innovative applied problems uh, into a single uh, tribe accelerator batch, and and then we offered them resources from uh, global corporates like we partnered up with BMW Group Asia, Intel, Nielsen, PwC, and so on and so forth, uh, as well as top-tier blockchain companies like Consensus, R3, IBM, uh, to help these startups really grow, as well as to offer them the support of the various government agencies in Singapore. And this, all in all, fostering a neutral community where in today's market, it's something that is not found. (laughs) Because every top tier companies or every blockchain companies or even funds, accelerators are all driving towards uh, different agendas. But it's, I think this is a technology that requires collaboration in order to work because the network needs to be, have more collaboration in order to make it more robust. And this is uh, why we are doing this. And this is where we are at right now. Thanks, Ming. And I think that's really important. Uh, even when I've talked on the show that we've gotten into blockchain several years ago. It is important to understand because there's still this concept of, as you mentioned, people think of it as speculative as cryptocurrency. And really, blockchain, once you get past that, is another emerging technology and the ability to companies to adopt it. You mentioned a lot of great brands, BMW, Intel. Um, On our show, we've had Jerry Cuomo of IBM, the founder of Hyperledger for the IBM side. We've had John Wolpert, who was one of the founders of Hyperledger, one of the founders of Consensus, and we've had Dr. Vanilla Singh and Dr. John Madison who uh, promote blockchain internationally as something that can solve real problems in the healthcare industry. So thanks again for explaining what Tribe is doing in, in your participation in that. Then Tiffany, I wanted to really move into how do venture partners look at both the technology of blockchain but also in how your involvement with Tribe why were you so interested? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I will start uh, of with uh, very quickly my background and lead to why um, my experiences lead me to this decision uh, to work with Tribe and believe that is the right platform for the emerging technologies, especially for blockchain. So um, I spent my first part of career in Africa and Southeast Asia, so really uh, investing oil and gas metals mining infrastructure. Right. Um, so back then I was advising governments. So in those emerging and frontier markets, what I saw uh, was not only the untapped opportunities, you know, to invest in because there there was so little there. So, so there was huge market and the, the the big levers you can pull using a little bit of technology, but really drive a lot of growth um, and impact. And another thing I also noticed was the the power of the top down approach. 
as we have direct access to the government and really inference from the private sectors on the policies, uh, you can very much use uh, your knowledge power to impact what the government going to shape policies and shape the environment to drive technologies invest- investments. So that's my first part of career, give me that experiences. Now, since I moved to U.S., I focused on investment in deep tech. So we're talking about, as Yiming said, you know, um, AI machine learning, you know, quantum computing, and and the blockchain. So those are the three spaces I focused on. That led me to also a realization uh, is that if we believe deep tech uh, will be realized uh, from this point onward, 20 years, you know, what are actually the the roadblocks? And in other words, what could be the, 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 the facilitators? To, to, to really bring us to that point of realization. And one of the things is the, the policy happens. You know, you, you actually do need um, the environment for a very efficient um, testing uh, bets. And, and the Singapore government has done a tremendously wonderful job to create that environment. So if we want um, blockchain to, to succeed as a technology and we need environment like that to drive favorable policies and really get, gather the Fortune 500 corporations together uh, to give the startups the chance to test their technologies and to really drive the adoption. So, so these two experiences about markets uh, and, and about deep tech investments lead me to really believe in what Tribe offers. It is a platform where they can gather uh, the government's uh, support and big corporations to help the deep tech to, to grow, uh, not only in Asia, but globally. I'd once again like to thank Ming En and Tiffany Xingyu Wang of the Tribe Accelerator out of Singapore. Coming up next, we're going to continue talking to Tiffany, as well as talk to John Chua of Ta-da! So don't go away. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm covering the Tribe Accelerator Global Demo Tour, which finished here at the Orange Venture Capital offices in San Francisco. And previously, they had hit Singapore, Shanghai, and Seoul. Tribe Accelerator is the first government blockchain accelerator in the world. They had... 10 companies in the latest batch. In the first segment, we had Un Ming, who's the managing partner of Tribe, as well as Tiffany Xingyu Wang, who is a venture partner. Coming up in this segment, we will be having Tiffany talking more about the importance of blockchain to the Singaporean government and how other governments can adopt the approach, as well as John Chua, who is the general manager of Tada, the largest ride-hailing app in Southeast Asia with over 40,000 drivers and a half a million transactions that have occurred so far. I think what was very interesting, Singapore as a city-state, that do you think that there's advantages that governments um, like the United States and parts of Western Europe can leverage off of how you're able to be nimble in adopting a technology like blockchain? 
So you're asking about uh, you know other states to uh, adopt the same approach that Singapore government um, uses. So I would take a step back to to think about what are the key elements why Sing- Singapore has been successful. So I think in the talk by the EDB official just now at the the demo day, so he mentioned you know Singapore is like a startup, right? Uh, so in other words, it it has very very limited resources, and rem- remember this pr- principle about the lean startup, right? When you we have seen other hubs, you know. Um, all over the world, you're not mentioning which part of the world, right? They have abundant resources, and then they dump that resources into the space, and then didn't have a really positive outcome coming out of it. So, so, so I think instead of saying, "Do I really see other parts of the world can do the same thing as efficiently as Singapore has done?" I'd rather say, "What makes?" Singapore successful is this lean startup methodology um, as, uh, as a startup would have done. And let me be precise. That means um, you're, you stay lean, you, you're efficient, you're effective, you attract the best talents ever. You know, Singapore officials run the scholar program, so they really attract the best talents to work for the government. They leverage the private sectors the best way they can, like tribe, right? This is the, the people who work at tribe are the most brilliant, um, you know, investors or business operators I've met um, globally. So I think if you get talents, you run lean startup methodology as you work as a government, you stand a good chance to offer actually your society and the private sectors uh, to to grow um, the to to grow the, the, the environment for emerging technologies uh, future. That's a fascinating um, comparison. I haven't yet heard. I mean, obviously in Silicon Valley, we hear a lot about the lean startup method by Eric Ries, but I hadn't heard it applied in a government setting, especially because of very large um, government hierarchy in, in many parts of the world. But back to the Singapore being um, lean and nimble, that that's an amazing um, description of the, the culture and the society. So. In terms of having the most brilliant folks involved with this, how does somebody get involved? How would investors hear more about Tribe? How would they learn about where they can get plugged in? So uh, they can firstly definitely visit our website or our LinkedIn and uh, Facebook, which is uh, tribeaccelerator.co. And I think happy for them to reach out to us if they have any questions that they are interested to know or how can they plug into the Southeast Asia ecosystem more than happy to chat and uh, share about it together with my colleagues as well as Stephanie. Yeah, I'm based in San Francisco so you know if uh, you are um, a US investor or a startup who wants to get involved uh, I'm very very happy to get connected through this radio show and a talk with you about tribe and to see how you can get involved in this uh, this ecosystem. That's great. So as Ming had mentioned, there is the Tribe Accelerator website, tribeaccelerator.co. Next up, we have John Chua, who's the general manager of a Southeast Asian ride-hailing app called Tada. And as we discussed, they have over 40,000 drivers and a half a million users. What's important about a ride-hailing app is that this app can be used by any individual with any car, taxi, individual car, or a chuk-chuk, which are these little, tiny, tiny vehicles in other parts of Southeast Asia. Uh, recently, we had John Walpert of Consensus on, and he had talked about how he had worked on Flywheel, 
and how he should have been working on Uber. Well, this app does it all. Don't know if it'll come to the United States, but this is really an education on scale. So, John, tell me a little bit about Tada, and you know, first let, let's do it this way. What's it about? What are some of the achievements, and where are you headed? So, uh, okay, Tada is a zero commission ride hailing and mobility payments application that's built on top of the MVL uh, mobility incentive blockchain. So, I think we've uh, launched Tada uh, in on the 26th of July in 2018, and uh, as of today, we have over uh, 40, close to 40,000 drivers wow. and over 400,000 riders, right, in the markets we operate in, which is uh, Singapore, uh, Phnom Penh in Cambodia, and Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. So, uh, I mean, all, all together, this is, uh, to us, like, earning the trust of our drivers is, uh, or 40,000 drivers is one of the biggest achievements we have uh, so far. Great. And what are some of the other, because you talked about the countries you're reopering in, what's your plans for expansion? I think uh, for us, our key priority is to uh, to, to sort like cement our position and earn uh, the trust of drivers within the markets that we operate in. Uh, as with uh, in entering and expanding into new markets, I think we are actively looking in the region, uh, Southeast Asian re region, and and I mean we, one of our key uh, pillars of uh, business pillar is actually making uh, cashless payments on mobility really really easy, and one of our partners is actually Alipay, and what Alipay is uh, suggesting is that there's uh, you know there's a lot of like uh, demand for using Alipay on mobility and like markets such as Malaysia and, and Thailand. So uh, those are actually areas that we are actively looking into uh, as we for uh, geographical expansion. I mean, within the key markets we operate in, we are also looking to um, expand into like uh, services within mobility, like around uh, around mobility, uh, with not just only on like, like taxi uh, hailing uh, for, for uh, Cambodia, we, we actually uh, launched like tuk-tuks, which is in like three wheelers, and we also launched like a an app meter. Oh. So you know, like you know, riders who you know perhaps they're not like digital natives, right? When they flag down um, a tuk-tuk, the driver would still like hit like fire up the Tada app, click start ride, and the app meter actually goes. So we are actually collecting like driving data. Uh, we are also collecting da driving data as that happens outside the Tada app. So expanding the new products uh, within uh, mobility is one of our expansion strategy. Well, that's great. Well, John, thanks for being here. I really enjoyed having you on the show, and I look sure. forward to hearing more about what you're doing. Sure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Tiffany Wong, venture partner of Tribe, and John Chua, general manager of Tada. Next up, we have Will Vorobev of Chorus Mobility. They are a payments platform for autonomous vehicles, as well as Digix, which is considered the first gold stable coin for blockchain. So don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, welcome back. I have a special guest, William Vorobev, founder and CEO of Chorus Mobility, who's in the first batch of the Tribe Accelerator. Welcome, William. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For this week's Cyber Tip, the theme is keeping our kids safe. 
Facebook just disclosed that they have a design flaw in the kids version of their Messenger app. In 2017, Facebook created a kids-only Messenger app for ages 6 to 12 years old because you need to be 13 years old to have an actual Facebook profile. Well, because of the way the privacy filters were designed, it was possible for kids to be in one-on-one chats with group members that were not approved by the parents, which was the critical requirement for how this app was supposed to work. Each person your child is connecting to should have been pre-approved by a parent. In a similar story that sounds related, but it's not, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, it was possible that up to 5 million children could also be connected to Instagram chat through a business profile. So for whatever reason that was not thought about at the time that the features were designed, kids can actually create their own business profiles on Instagram. And if you create a business profile, it circumvents any controls on checking that it's a child behind that account. And so therefore, adults could interact with the children knowing that there are children behind that account. Uh, Instagram did disclose and is addressing how to close that loophole. As a reminder, I always discuss how technology often comes before regulation or scrutiny. And as parents, it's imperative that you absolutely know what your children are doing online. So if you are fortunate enough to have children that are already starting their own businesses, you should still be monitoring their business accounts because you don't know who they're interacting with and what they may be doing. And that's the cyber tip of the week. William, tell me a little bit about Chorus. Yeah, so um, Chorus is a frontier tech company focused on combining two cutting-edge technologies, autonomous vehicles and uh, blockchain-based payments. And uh, the mission we're trying to pursue is um, to transform urban mobility and improve traffic via peer-to-peer payments. So some futuristic things like paying for the road space and the rights of way, oh, yeah. which could also apply to um, some more boring but more classic uh, things like paying for parking, EV charging or fueling your car, um, tolls, which is probably the most uh, used use case out there for connected vehicles. What infrastructure and what type of blockchain are you using? So we are blockchain agnostic. We got our uh, pre-seed investment and support from one of the largest public blockchains, Tezos Foundation. Our proof of concept is built on both uh, Ethereum uh, and as, as a POC and Tezos. Um, eventually, it doesn't really matter what kind of blockchain because that's the secret sauce uh, we are using is the actual autonomous vehicle software and connected, connected vehicles. That, that's great, and I, I fully support that approach. I think that's a really smart way of doing it. What are some of the recent achievements that you've obtained? Uh, yeah, sure. So we actually came first in Moby Grand Challenge. That's the largest hackathon in the mobility blockchain industry. We uh, came ahead of 22 teams from 15 countries. Some of them were uh, like billions of dollars worth of ICO companies, some very notable blockchains. They came third and fourth, and we took the first prize, which we are very proud of. After that, we got invited by the first government-backed accelerator, Tribe Accelerator, out of Singapore. And uh, the reason we gladly accepted the invitation is that it's the first blockchain-based government-backed accelerator, probably in the world. Yes. The, the, the first one I've heard, at least. Um, the core uh, go-to-market strategy for us is B2G, business to government. 
because in some of the use cases we will be heavily relying on government regulations in both payments that are related to blockchain in a very sensitive area and in an emerging area as well as the autonomous vehicle software and autonomous vehicles yeah. itself that require also lot, lots of government regulations. Singapore being the best test bed for autonomous vehicles and all the new tech and the very open-minded to blockchain tech and um, all of the related cryptocurrency uh, use cases also uh, sounded like an attractive uh, thing for us. So we, uh, we are based out of New York. We have an R&D team in Germany as well. Uh, working with people from BMW, and we got reached out by some notable um, auto manufacturers, um, including Subaru, Hyundai, uh, BMW again. And um, eventually, we're planning to move to Singapore after after we close our seed round to conduct a full size POC with those uh, uh, notable companies. Well, William, thanks again for being here. Congratulations uh, going through the Tribe Accelerator, and I hope to stay in touch. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I want to once again thank Will from Chorus Mobility to talk about micropayments using blockchain technology for the automotive industry. Next up, I have Eloise Juteau, who is the head of UX for Digix. Digix is relevant in that it's the first gold-backed stablecoin. And when we talk about what Facebook is trying to do with Libra, it's not a new concept. Digix has been around at least three years. Eloise and I discussed the hypothesis around using gold as a stablecoin especially in light of Libra, Facebook's entry into cryptocurrency, and how being built on Ethereum affects their platform, especially when people are concerned about scaling. And so this is what Eloise had to say. So tell me a little bit about Digix. What's the hypothesis behind that? All right. So um, yeah, so Digix uh, is a company which is headquartered in Singapore. And as you've said it yourself, we digitize gold on the blockchain. So, where one DGX token equal one gram of gold, uh, we have a, a series of uh, smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain, which basically track the whole gold buying mm-hmm. process, which means that every DGX token which is being minted, we have actually the physical gold in the vaults. And that's fascinating because I, I liken it to uh, a stable coin, but a stable coin backed by gold exactly. versus fiat currency. Exactly. So then here's a question because so much negative news has been around Tether and even more recently this concept that Tether isn't actually backed by one U.S. dollar as it had claimed to be. Mm. I think at the time it was like 74% and now there's some question. Since it's physical gold in a vault in Singapore. Yes. What's the process to validate that that physical gold is there? Okay, so we use what we call the proof of provenance, okay? So we purchase the gold, we then store it in the vault, and we then mint the tokens. So we also work with international partners to store the vault, to store the, the gold in the vault. And every part of the process, we have a receipt and we have certain information which is related to the gold buying process, okay? So this is like all the documentation, the physical documentation. And then this documentation is stored in a decentralized server that we call the IPFS. And then this information is sent as a transaction to the Ethereum blockchain. 
So all this information, all the pictures that we take related to the purchase of the gold or even like the gold in the actual vault is stored physically and digitally into this proof of provenance. So this proof of provenance is a bit more like an asset explorer, if you want. And you can access it anytime, anywhere, um, and it can be accessed by anyone on our interface. So this is how we prove that we have uh, the actual gold. And another way as well is working with our international partners to kind of bring a bit more the trust, obviously, that users look for. Thanks for the explanation. So then what's the tangible benefit of moving to, in essence, a digital gold structure versus carrying it? Is it, is it beyond just the convenience of having to carry on bars of gold? Um, yes, that could definitely be um, uh, be one point. I think that if we were to uh, compare it to other form of digital gold, for example, ETFs or futures, the user has access, the customer has access to the actual underlying. So, for example, this is um, this is one of the benefits. Um, another benefit is that up to a certain amount of gold that you will buy from us. We are actually cheaper than if you were to buy it oh, wow. in the physical store. So those are two points. And why is it cheaper? And uh, why is it cheaper? That's a very good question. Ah, okay. So then uh, one question I had. Oh, also, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, yes, yeah, uh, sorry, so I'm thinking about other reasons why uh, why it's also interesting to have uh, digital gold. Um, so one of the reasons of having like a, a, a digital token is that you can obviously move the gold very easily, yes. right? You can also move it very easily peer to peer and across borders at any time. So that would be also one, one aspect. Thank you. And just out of curiosity, does, since you're using um, an Ethereum-backed token, are there any challenges when Ethereum price fluctuates or scaling issues as well? The price of our token is attached to the price of gold. So I wouldn't say there is an issue as, as such. And this is one of the reasons why as well we came up in the first place a few years ago with the DGX token being backed by gold because we noticed the uh, volatility within crypto and we felt that there was a need to actually have a um, safe store of value within this market. Okay. Well, thanks, Eloise, for being here. I hope you enjoy your rest of your stay in San Francisco. Thank you so much. And I hope to speak to you again. Yes. I wanted to wrap up today's show by thanking Tribe, the first government-backed blockchain accelerator in the world out of Singapore. I also want to, once again, talk about how excited I am that blockchain is more than a cryptocurrency. It's a technology. And for the right use cases, we're seeing more and more adoption throughout many industries, and there's interest all over the world, not just in Singapore, but as well as Israel, Brazil, Western Europe, and of course, the United States. If you have any questions or comments about 
Tribe, or any of the companies you heard on today, please email us at info at svn.biz. You can also learn about Tribe's next batch. And don't go away. We'll be right back with The Pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 828 7846 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm at the Tribe Accelerator event. Tribe Accelerator is the Singaporean government-backed blockchain accelerator, and the event is here in San Francisco at Orange Silicon Valley. Joining me again is Tiffany Xingyu Wang, who is a venture partner with Tribe. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Keith. And Tiffany and I are now on The Pivot. So, Tiffany, with the experience you've had, we've covered it through the show, what is one of the takeaways you want to leave with the listener? One of my investment thesis is the technification of services verticals in Southeast Asia. So that's what I want the audience to take away. And what is technification? Yeah, so as we mentioned uh, in the beginning of the show, the Southeast Asian governments really have demonstrated the approach to run the governments efficiently, to give a favorable policy environment for technology adoption. So if you are a startup and if you are aiming at one of the services verticals that matter to the population, and let's take an example, transport was the first services vertical which was disrupted. And obviously the example was Grab. Right, And then you, you see the difference how Grab has grown versus how Uber and Lyft have grown in the U.S., the market size. Because of the environment the government is supportive of, you have seen Grab has grown in the market at a speed and at a velocity that you could not have imagined for another company in another market. Yeah. And, and Grab is the, the dominant ride-sharing provider in Singapore, not Singapore, in Southeast Asia. In all in Southeast Asia, Asia. right? Mm-hmm. So that was the first vertical, which has been disrupted, and coming with it was Grab. And just curious, how did they beat out Uber and Lyft with all the investment that Uber and Lyft make into these markets? Yeah, well, I think that we would have another podcast, you know, <laughs> specifically about the thesis, sure. and I have so much to talk about that. And, you know, But I think on a high level, I would say... As much as to win the U.S. markets, it is a very different approach from the right to win in in Asia. It's just the market, how the consumers have been educated, shaped differently from the U.S. consumers. So I think the local market knowledge is definitely the thing you have to be aware of. And you also have to be aware of how to really work with the governments, right? Those are the facilitators. Those are the supporters of yours. But if you don't go with them, you also actually set yourself in trouble, right? So understand the consumers and also understand the governments. That would be my advice for any startup who want to succeed in Asian markets. So I I think that the first part, any successful U.S. company has done very well, right? And the second part, which is not as, in, it is very important, but it, you never really see, for example, in most of the pitch decks, in most of the investment pitch have been, people will specifically talk about how we work with government agencies, how we actually get over the regulation barriers, and how we actually work with regulators, and to make that 
an advantage for us, rather than here where you should say, oh, you know how we work around it. You yeah. know, it's a two different mentality. So I think th that that's what Grab has done very well. You know, they understand the local market so well, but they also have worked very well. You know, um, to make regulation more be a promoter and a facilitator rather than really a blocker. And, and I think that's an excellent point, just because. We talk about a lot, especially in the background I have in technology risk with large enterprises, that a lot of the Silicon Valley, they believe that the secret to the success or past success was basically the lack of regulations and the, and the things that they're developing. But now because of fintech, health tech, reg tech, insure tech, and blockchain, Absolutely. You, it goes hand in hand. And we can really see that with Facebook entering, quote unquote, the cryptocurrency market with the Libra consortium. So I think the point you made is, is an excellent one. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, this whole thesis about technification um, of services verticals in Southeast Asia was obviously uh, demonstrated by Grab and the transport vertical. But I think the two next uh, verticals I personally uh, believe in and care about, uh, one is logistics, right? The other is payment. Um, and, and again, we will see who will be the winners. Um, and you also see, um, you know, the two prerequisites uh, for being a winner would be, you know, if you know how local people pay so differently uh, compared to other markets, um, and really make the 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 the, the user usability part, you know, so um, so close and personable with the local markets, and another. A prerequisite is how you actually work the existing players. How do you really work with banks? How do you really work with card issuers? How do you actually work with other logistic, you know, uh, stakeholders in, in the value chain? And 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 both are as big um, as the transport industry, and they are they are as impactful. Untapped. A little bit technology can do a lot in those markets. That's what I don't see in the U.S. markets because it is a developed market. But over there, you can make a lot of impact and therefore a lot of return um, if you do that right. So, so I think that coming back to you know the beginning, um, you know, of my answer to you, I think uh, the takeaway is really about this thesis of um, this coming trend of. Uh, technification of service verticals in Southeast Asia. Well, thanks, Tiffany. I'm definitely going to have you to come back on the show and do a, a longer segment on this because, as we can see with the recent Senate hearings with Facebook and Libra, you're exactly right. Both the government and small and large are trying to figure out what the next wave is. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, everyone. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, finishing up with Tiffany Xingyu Wang, a venture partner with the Tribe Accelerator out of Singapore, but she's local here in San Francisco. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.